This podcast is a project of the Mass Cultural Council. We believe in the power of culture, the arts, humanities, and sciences to enrich communities, advance equity, and foster creativity. Every time you have a technology which can create an expressive medium, artists are some of the first people there after it's invented. Hi, I'm Anita Walker at the Mass Cultural Council, and welcome to Creative Minds Out Loud. Our guest today is George Fifield. He is founding director of Boston Cyber Arts, and welcome to our program. Thanks for having me. I always love an origin story, and Boston Cyber Arts, how, when did you start that? In 1998, to put on a festival of art and technology, and we called it the Boston Cyber Arts Festival, so that's how we... That's how the name came about. And it was because the MCC had just come out with a brand new grant structure, the CED, the Cultural Economic Development Grant. And somebody at the MCC told me about that, so I applied for that, and that kicked the whole thing off. And that program then became the Adams Grant Mm -hmm. Program, which has now morphed into the Cultural District Program. So we are a dynamic agency, constantly evolving with our programs. But at that time... First of all, the idea of arts and economic development was a whole brand new idea. Those two words had never been put together. And arts and cyber was kind of a new marriage of thinking. What made you come up with that? Okay, so so back in the 80s, I was trying to be an artist in the field of video art. But my I was earning a living as a um, graphic designer. And the field of video art didn't change very much back then, but graphic design changed immensely with PageMaker and all of these tools. At one time in my life, I knew how to cast type, a <laughs> skill nobody needs anymore. And, um, and so that was sort of interesting, watching this evolutionary change in a whole field with, because of microcomputers. And I started to know people who were doing art in this field. Um, so actually, a number of years before, at The Space, which was a small gallery run by Stella McGregor on South Street, I got a chance to curate my first show of computer installation art, and we called it The Computer Is Not Sorry, (laughs) um, a name I'm still very proud of. And uh, we had Jennifer Hall. uh, We had a number of really interesting artists from around town who were doing computer installation art. But it was clearly an idea whose time had come. Yeah, well, and you had it, and you brought it right here Mm -hmm. to Boston and Cambridge and, and Massachusetts. So, first of all, what is your favorite first thing? that Boston Cyber Arts did? When you look back and say, nobody would ever, th- I can't believe I thought of that. Ooh, tough question. I think it was, I think it was bringing a whole group of artists who were the first artists working in augmented reality art to the ICA. And um, they, they had called me up. They'd done this before at Museum of Modern Art, but it was surreptitious. They didn't tell the museum. So a whole bunch of people showed up in 2010 just looking around through their phones at things that were floating around the museum. And needless to say, the security guards weren't happy. So um, they called the, the, the people to, to do something about it, and they let them keep it up. Um, they called me because I knew all of them. And they said, we want to do the same thing in the 2011 Cyber Arts Festival. We want the institution to know about it. So I wrote a letter, emailed to Jill Medvedow, and said, Jill, this is how the ICA can be part of the Boston Cyber Arts Festival. And guess what? You don't have to do anything. <laughs> and so she said, great. And they came and they, they did um, tours all around the first floor of the gallery and around the outside, showing off their And outside, too, I remember the outside. Yeah. I mean, I remember walking around with my phone. So that it was kind of like what they're doing now, Pokemon yeah. Go. 
That yes, piece but, is like a, but you started much more that. dramatic, <laughs> much more dramatic and beautiful. So, all right, now here we are all these short years later. None of us have aged a minute since <laughs> then. But, boy, technology has taken off. At, at, from your vantage point, from your vantage point, where do you see the intersection of art and technology and science today compared to when you started Boston Cyber Arts? I take a very wide view of this. I mean, I think, first of all, all art is technology. You know, going back to perspective, I like to think of it as an as a architectural software, you know. And so the earliest people using perspective are going through the same process that artists are using artificial intelligence today. And you see the pattern happening again and again. Um, so it's any time you have a technology which can create an expressive medium, artists are some of the first people there after it's invented. Um, to really explore it and to, and to stretch it and to see what it really can do. And it's, that's a fascinating process to watch. And usually the first people who get there, they do what I like to call gee whiz art. It's just sort of, wow, we can do something cool with this. And then it takes a couple more generations. And by generations, I don't mean human life generations. I mean artists who then come in and start to explore its emotive impact. And finally you get a couple artists who get it and they do something spectacular with it, and then people go, wow, this is great, let's let's work with this. So I remember um, that event, was it 2010 or 11, with, with the augmented mm -hmm. art? Um, you also had a concert with computers. Mm. We actually had a concert at the very first Cyber Arts Festival at the Symf at, in, in, in 1999 at Symphony Hall um, that was done um, by George Ann Thiel in the 20s, called the Ballet Mechanique. And one of the things it involved was a whole bunch of player pianos, like nine player pianos. And a professor at Tufts had figured out that he could replace those, because that didn't work very well, um, with these new devices which made music and recreated the ballet mechanique for the first time the way it was supposed to be heard. Yeah. Now these laptops or these computers that I heard then subsequently at the next, where I'm going with this is they made something that was called music but didn't sound like music to me. So my question is when artists take technology and do a whiz-bang thing with it and make a new kind of art, it may be unfamiliar. We may have to sort of rethink about what we think art is. Very much so. Very much so. And, and that's really for me a lot of the fun of it, you know, is to see what you know, I always say that um, artists like to get a hold of a new technology and squeeze it and break it until it shatters and falls into pieces at their feet. And then they usually claim that was their original intent. Um, Namjoon Paik being a great example. But yes, what can you do with this? What can you do that's emotive? And hopefully, what can you do that's never been done before? So now what's happening next? What has never been done before that's about there's, to be done? There's actually a lot of people still working in AI, uh, AR art. That, um, that's very interesting, and there's a lot of new AR, augmented reality um, apps that are coming out. Uh, and, and define that term for us. Augmented reality, okay, virtual reality is when you build an entire virtual environment and you step into it wearing virtual reality goggles. Augmented reality is when you take a virtual object and you place it in real space, and you can see it through a device like your phone, which has a camera, a processing unit, and a screen. And so you can place these things anywhere. And uh, so we're doing a bunch of that uh, I, this summer and for the whole next year, starting May 15th, 
uh, we're going to have six augmented reality sculptures on the Greenway, working with the Greenway Conservancy. But another thing that I find really interesting, and I'm uh, doing more and more with artists working on it, is artificial intelligence. That AI is now so sophisticated, you can fill an AI structure with examples of what you want it to do, and then it'll start to produce examples of that. You still need the artist in the first place. Not as much as you might think. Oh, don't tell me that, because I've always <laughs> wanted to believe that the only thing ro robots can't replace is the artist, the creative mind. The artists want, what the artists want to do is look at the stuff and make a decision as to whether they like it or not. But they don't have to touch anything. As a matter of fact, one artist, Alex Rieben, just wears brainwave modules and the and the AI shows him different things and reads his brain and can tell which ones he likes. All right, for those of you who are not in the room with us right now, George is taking his fingers and applying them to his forehead <laughs> to demonstrate these nodules that are affixed to the artist's head um, that are discussing in his so brain. So what what, one of the things he does is before he starts this routine, he'll go and he'll put this um, brainwave things on, and then he'll look at things he really likes, pictures and stuff like that. And so the, the AI will get a sense of, oh, that's what the brainwaves of something he really likes looks like. We're going to show him stuff, and we'll, when we, we get those patterns, then we'll say, okay, those are the good ones. And put that idea in the artist's head? Yeah. Do you like that? I find it hysterically funny and wonderful. Um, and then, oh, and then just to finish things off, uh, for his for his Amalgan, he calls them, um, images, he then takes the final image that the AI comes up with and he sends it to a village in China and they paint it in oil paints for him. So he hasn't touched it at all, but he's got a little oil painting. Of what was in his head. Of what was, of, was suggested of what was by being, artificial intelligence. Of what was presented to him by the artificial intelligence that his head said, I like. I don't know, George. <laughs> Anita, I get that a lot. <laughs> you get, I don't know, George, a lot. I, I believe that. I believe that. But this is really fascinating. But this is why I go back to what I'm saying. Do we need to rethink what we define as art? So whereas I didn't like that computer music at all, and it didn't even sound like music, it just sounded like a lot of wailing, screechy computers, and then uh, escaped me entirely, but everyone else in the room was really transfixed, although they may have been just a bunch of computer people who just were thrilled that somebody had squished those computers and made it do things like that, but then it was called art. So now we've got a, a robot, an artificial intelligence, like mapping the mind of an artist and... and is this still art? I, I think we've had to re, rethink art ever since Marcel Duchamp turned a urinal upside down and painted our mutt on the side of it. Okay. Um, and uh, and it, was it Marshall McLuhan who once said, art is anything you can get away with? Um, but I think it's still art. It's art because it's emotive. It's art because it's formed of a creative spirit. And it's art that appeals to us for no other reason than our human sensibilities. So it has to, it has to have some intersection with humans and yeah. humanity. It can't be totally a box of circuitry because, without any connection. To because humans. only humans are viewers of art. Well, this is, this is true, George. When you can get artificial intelligence to appreciate the artificial intelligence art, then you can just put that off in a corner and they'll have a great time all by themselves. You know, whenever I wrap up this 
segment, I always say the same thing, but never has it been more true than when I say it today. George Fifield, another one of our creative minds, out loud. Thank you, Anita. To learn more about this episode and to subscribe, visit creativemindsoutloud.org.